This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner. Listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and/or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael Glenn Moore. If you have an interesting life story and would like to appear on the show, please drop me a note at inacitylikeyours at gmail.com. Also, Join our Facebook page at Inner City Like Yours Podcast to receive notices of new releases and other info. Now, please welcome today's guest. My name is Dale Niehaus, and I live in Norman, Oklahoma. Back in 2013, back when I actually originally from Indiana, Southern Indiana, it was on Labor Day that year. And I was basically out in where I lived in Southern Indiana, you could burn trash in your property as long as you had it contained. And so we had a section in the backyard where we kind of had like this burn uh, trash pile. And then we also had a burn barrel. And so that day I was taking the process of burning some trash at the time and burned a little bit of it, but the fire went after a while or so I thought. And so I uh, wanted to try to burn up some more and so trying to light it at first was not working. So uh, I had before used a little bit of gasoline to try to, to burn stuff before. And, and so uh, I had started to take the gas, uh, uh, can of gasoline and started to pour down the barrel. Uh, and, you know, at first everything was fine, which I probably should have stopped after a little bit, but I kept pouring. And then the next thing I know, it ignited again and the gas can it, it caught on fire and so my my reaction to seeing that is I dropped it uh, well in the process of doing that I was wearing jean shorts at the time and I was wearing socks and shoes and in the process of that how my body was positioned the um, the gas was on fire it splashed up and landed on the back side of my right leg. And so the back side of my right leg caught completely on fire. And that lasted for maybe 10 seconds or less. My, then um, this was a bigger yard. So my, my uh, at the time, 2013, my, uh, how old was he then? A four or five year old was actually playing on the, on the trampoline, which was further away from that. Okay. So as soon as he seen that happen, I, I, um, you know, after I put the fire out with water, because um, I did have a water hose nearby just in case uh, their fire kind of broke out. And because, you know, anytime you're burning anything in the backyard, uh, it could spread and we had woods nearby. So I had put the fire out with water because it was the nearest thing I could think of. And I told him to go in and get his mom right away. And um, and so he had went up there. I had made sure the fire was out and the adrenaline was still kicked in, so I didn't feel anything. 
Uh, so I slowly tried to walk up to the house and then that's when I noticed my leg was hurting really bad. At the time, I, uh, you know, I th thought that maybe perhaps, it, you know, that, um, that my leg was okay, that uh, I just was missing a lot of hair. And, um, and then as I started going up the house more and more, the pain started to set more and more. She came out and I expressed what happened. And so tried to get me into the, um, the shower to wash some of it off, which was extremely excruciating. And, um, and so we rushed, we got me over to the hospital, the ER, where they admitted me and uh, took a look at it. And then by that time, the hand that I put the fire out with, the fingers were swelled up like about the size of sausages. It was uh, basically from water and different things. And so they got me in there and they looked at the wound and they treated it, washed it off the best they could, and then put some uh, silicone cream, which is very notoriously used for treating burns and uh and they wrapped my hand up too and then i was scheduled to go see a doctor and also start going to whirlpool treatment baths after it had healed for you know about a week later and so every day at home i would have to um, redo the wrapping a couple times a day with burn cream and then also uh, they had tools to kind of um not the first week but after i started doing whirlpool treatment baths uh, tools to actually do debrief the uh, the wound, which basically means you had to take the dead skin off, and and so at first um, I had a tattoo back there, and right after it happened, this dead skin was still there, and the tattoo was still there, and then slowly as the, we kept changing the um, the, um, the gauze and, and and the bandages and stuff, that the the black outline of it started to disappear, and it got to a point to where um, it was completely gone. That's how bad it got burned. It was second and third degree burns on my back of my leg. And um, and so then at a point it showed down to the white um, the muscle. And um, so then I started taking Whirlpool Tree and Bass and I thought that I had um, I'd been hurt before I'd sprained my ankles. I had been laying it on my head. I had cut myself pretty bad. I thought, you know, hey, you know, I've been through pain, whatever, but this was nothing like I'd ever experienced. I mean, those Whirlpool Tree and Bass were excruciating. Uh, my my ex-wife now, who was married with me at the time, um, went to with me with a couple of the appointments, actually sat in there and just, I broke down crying like a baby, just the, and, and in pain and trying not to scream it about broke her heart just to see me go through it. And uh, so basically what it consisted of is they had this, at the time their, their actual electrical lift didn't work. So they had a one that they actually had a pump crank. So, um, as they would and they there was this pool of warm water that they would stick you in and so they the pump thing you it would like cause it to you know they'd pump it and it cause it to jerk a little bit so it definitely didn't help the, the leg thing and then they would stick you in the water and they would have this whirlpool water this water that would move and it would circulate around to, to clean the wound which was horrible it got worse as more of the dead skin would come off uh, the worst part of it was is coming back out of the water because your skin is wet and then the cold that the air hitting it that was horrible and so then they would take these tools whatever and they would actually clean the dead skin off of the area and it's it was horrible I did that for about a month and a half two months uh, I would go in twice a week for whirlpool treatments and at first, 
I could walk on my leg. It was the most excruciating pain of all trying to put weight back on it. And eventually I had to start to force myself to learn how to walk again, basically. I mean, I was came to a point where I had to learn to walk again. And uh, at this time I was off of work. I couldn't work at all. Luckily for me, I had uh, you know, short-term disability insurance at my job. So I was getting not a whole amount of pay, but I was getting some. And so I basically, you know, every day I kind of had to slowly put my weight back on it and then uh, do things here and there. And then also through that point too, I was still serving in the guard. And I remember that first month after this happened, um, I still had to report to guard duty uh, for the, the weekend. And I showed up that first day and it was absolutely horrible. I had to get stuff that had to, you know, treat my wound or whatever. And, and then at the end of the day, they finally were, you know, realized that, you know, how bad it was. And they just went ahead and sent me home for the weekend. They're like, you know, there's nothing in where he can do right now. You know, I just tell my first sergeant just to have him send me home for the weekend because there was nothing else that could be done. So they finally did. And uh, so I only had to stay for one day of drill, but then, you know, come back and just, you know, poor wife at the time, I was extremely irritable uh, for the pain mostly and just overall feeling of how stupid I was for what I had done. And, you know, kids at the time, you know, uh, that was after we had our, uh, I think our youngest child, it was 2013. So he was, he would have been a little over a year old, not very old. And so my poor wife at the time had our three kids and the other one, like I said, was between four and five. And then my oldest would have been about 10, 2013. Yeah, he would have been about 10. And uh, then of course our littlest one. So she was basically having to take care of three kids while I was pretty much incapacitated. And so it finally, after four and a half months going, you know, doing all that, I finally was able to go back to work and it, that was a, a thing going back to, cause I had to climb stairs. And so my leg wasn't at a hundred percent yet. Um, so it took some getting used to going back to work and eventually I was fine. And you know, even to this day, I still don't have a lot of hair back there. I have some growing back, but I have a lot of the skin, you know, it healed back, but not a hundred percent. In fact, a lot of it, you can just, it's, just weird looking like when uh, my leg like bends or flexes, you can see kind of like the wrinkles in the skin or whatever from where the skin kind of healed, but it's not the same. But that, that right there, the accident just, it changed me. And the, the fact that I learned that, you know, that in, in, in a second, something tragic could happen. I had literally thought when that my leg was on fire, I literally thought my life was over. I was panicking. I, I, I was just overall just preparing for the worst, you know, cause it, I didn't know what was going to happen. And luckily for me, I, I survived and I came back and I didn't lose my leg or anything that, which it could have been a lot worse. And it also had taught me that to, to be more careful, um, gasoline is no joke. And even though I thought I was being careful, I, I wasn't. And, and so that's, that's nothing to, to play with. And it also, in a sense, gave me a little PTSD because I was doing something for a job once and they were, they were doing a safety uh, video 
and on this video it was this guy that had been through a an actual fire and, and burn he was a uh i want to say was he he wasn't a firefighter but it, he had his body had like suffered an enormous amount of second and third degree burns i mean this poor guy he'd been through the ringer and when he talked about the whirlpool baths that he had to go through as soon as he got done or as he was talking about it i uh, i started noticing my chest was uh, beating faster and i started to to just get these overall panic feelings and i had to leave the room before i broke down crying just because it kind of made me relive what i went through and so to this day it's better to where i can actually talk about it and and think about it but you know i mean it, every once in a while i mean it kind of causes some some of it to flare up just the anxiety and depression which i kind of had some of it before but when that happened it definitely caused it to step up a notch and it definitely made me more anxious um deal with more depression um you know for several years i i kind of just didn't didn't face it didn't face the fact that i was having issues and it it caused a lot of problems in my marriage not so much that at the time that it, it you know caused it to end i mean now it is it's over but it's a lot of other factors you know but that had a lot to do with it it um because i was didn't face the fact that I had problems and I needed help. And of course, during that time when I was down and there was a lot of times that I debated and, and dealt with suicidal thoughts because, you know, it was this terrible thing that happened to me. And I was just wondering like, great, you know, I almost screwed up and all this and that. And so you have all these thoughts growing through your head of, of, okay, you know, every bad thing that, you know, possible. And it just, it's definitely one of those to where you're sitting there just thinking, just thinking and thinking can be a good, but it can be a very dangerous thing, especially when you're having a lot of bad thoughts in your own head and, and then you become your own worst enemy. And so it's, um, it's definitely one of those things that I experienced it and, and it's definitely nothing I'd want to experience again. Just, um, obviously the fire part, but, um, the pain of, of going through that, um, the whirlpool treatments was uh, traumatizing and I for anybody who has ever ever been through a fire accident and whatever wound they have they had to go through these treatments and I can't imagine that guy in the video who his, his whole body had been burned at one point and his whole body had to be debriefed and go through whirlpool treatments I, I couldn't imagine that it was just the back of my leg um, so anybody who has ever had to go through those whirlpool treatments i feel for them extremely bad because it's you know people can talk about pain um you know or they 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 got cut or they broke an arm or something but i'm, I'm telling you that right there is a new level of pain that i feel for anybody that ever had to feel it so it's it definitely caused me to want to be more cautious in my life and to try to um, and it, it also kind of, and not at the time, it didn't, uh, I, I didn't start to think about my dreams and my passions as much, but it definitely caused me to also think about things I hadn't done yet 
that if I would have gotten killed that day, then I what what all would I have accomplished? You know, I or I was a father and a husband, but I basically just worked a, a regular job and didn't really have any ambitions at that point. And so, in a sense, it might have caused my thinking to change a little bit, and it may have not changed right that second, but I think it kind of started to make a change in my head of okay, well, where's my life going? What am I doing? What have I accomplished? And so I, I don't like the fact that I went through what I did, but I also think too, that by going through that, it did maybe cause me to be motivated to, to do different things in my life. And, and so maybe, I mean, if that's the good that came out of it, but I mean, really there's no good way to look about when you're going through a, a bad burn like that. And so, but it definitely made me more cautious of fire safety and uh, to not utilize gasoline or anything other than for cars or trucks or for, you know, um, lawnmowers or what are supposed to be used for. And so I guess if anything, it definitely taught me that and to just love my kids more. Yeah, and, that's, uh, that's apparently a common thing with people using gasoline on yeah. fires that backing up like that and catching the can. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Did you have any problems with your, with the muscle trying to draw up? Was that, a, was that part of it as well? And, and were the, you, the, you didn't have any skin grafts either, did you? No, um, surprisingly I didn't. They were thinking they were gonna have to at first, but, but to be honest, no, they didn't have to do any skin grafts at all. My skin actually started to grow back uh, because we, actually kept the area clean and we took good care of it you know at first they honestly thought that i was gonna have to get skin grafts but luckily for me no i i didn't in fact my skin all grew back it's just you can just definitely tell because in when however you bend my leg you can see the lines where like the skin kind of grew back but it's kind of weird because it's kind of almost looks like wrinkled in those areas and also just kind of like really dry and you can you can see that and you can actually see the the line on my the back of my leg and it doesn't go all the way down like to my ankle necessarily but it's kind of like part of the way up you can see a, a permanent line right there to where the sock was at and then you can see the the line behind my knee to where that where it had kind of done it too so it's just but um, no, luckily for me, I did not have to have a skin graft. I was very, very fortunate, and I, I thank God every day for that. Yeah, that's. I've heard that that burns are really, really painful. I mean, I know just burning my hand on the stove or something, how bad that is. I can't imagine having a significant, you know, area. Uh, what that must have been like. Did Did they give you any painkillers, or you know, how much of this did you have to just bear? Yeah, actually, they they had. They had first given me lower tabs, which I had heard a lot of bad things about lower tabs. And so I didn't, I didn't take those, but they did give me Percocet, which I mean, that's not much better. So, but I didn't know much about Percocet lower tabs. I know that they were definitely a habit for me. And so I, but the Percocets I did take um, at first and they definitely, definitely helped. I had those and I had the um, 800 milligram ibuprofen or Tylenol, whichever one time. So it, that helped manage it. Um, and of course, you know, I had family members kind of help keep an eye on me when, you know, the amount I was taking per day because 
any type of painkiller like that that's strong. It can be habit forming and you know after a while um, you know they they were keeping an eye on me and they're like well hey maybe you ought to you know settle down or not settle if you don't necessarily need to take that maybe you ought to quit taking it and so I quit taking the, the Percocet after a while because I didn't want to become hooked on that and I just took like the stronger dose of the Tylenol after the majority of the bereavements was done and it was just skin growing back so but yeah I they did prescribe me some, some painkillers to kind of help subside the pain a little bit otherwise it would have been absolutely horrible trying to deal with that for that whole time oh I imagine you know that's it's, it's a necessity to go through something like that and not have anything to help uh, with the pain so do you you said you can kind of tell by looking at it that, that you've had something going on in the back of your leg but there's no more uh, residual effects it's not uh, you don't limp or anything like that you're kind of back to normals so to speak yeah no i don't have any limping at all um and you know it you know after the first four and a half months you know it still had a little bit of muscle um where the uh, it hadn't been long enough for it to completely you know, went into atrophy but definitely my muscle in my right leg was a lot weaker than my left but no, after I started getting back to work and just beside the soreness in the leg from getting used to it again, no, there's no residual effects from it. I'm able to walk fine. I can work out with it fine. And it's just, just back there, you can just notice a little bit of difference and no, uh, no hair on the back of my leg. That's really about all there is. It's just cosmetic is all it is. Okay. Uh, so let's go on and, and talk about your acting and voiceover career. Uh, when did you start your acting? Was this after the one of the revelations that you had always wanted to do and that's what you decided to do after you went through the burn? Or was that something you were going through or wanting to, to do before? You know, since I was a kid, um, I had, you know, it always been thought uh, cool to, to be in a movie, you know, and I think every kid kind of goes to that at one point, you know, and I grew up an only child in Southern Indiana. And so, you know, a lot of times, when I didn't play with toys or whatever, because this was the eighties, you know, we uh, had like the Nintendo and stuff, but a lot of times, you know, I, I would watch a lot of movies, uh, especially when I was old enough to watch myself and stay home and do chores. Um, a lot of times during summer vacation, I was home watching flicks and movies and stuff. And this was for anybody who's not old enough to remember, it was on VHSs, you know, video cassettes and uh, where you actually had to physically sit there and rewind the movie. And it took like a couple of minutes, you know, uh, but, uh, but so it was, you know, kind of a, a childhood dream, but I didn't really start following that um, actually until 2015. And, and part of that too uh, was because I had, you know, kind of afterwards, yes, it was kind of something that I had like, you know, well, I never tried it, so maybe I'd like to, but at the time in Indiana, there was, there really wasn't a, um, a really any place to do it, especially in, in Evansville where I grew up. And so I kind of didn't even look into it. And so it wasn't until 2015 when I moved to Oklahoma and it was, you know, later that year, the like closer to December, they had this casting notice at the library in Norman and it was for a local play. Uh, it was by this local group called the Namron Players. It was just like a community theater and that's Norman spelled backwards too, uh, as they came, kind of came up with that. And so they had auditions for the small play. It was the play version of Fahrenheit 451. And so I, I had debated and I told my wife at the time, I was like, 
you know, hey, I saw this, but I just don't know. And she's like, why not go for it? You seem like you'd have fun with that. And I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And so I went out and uh, read for the role of the lead, um, which I didn't get. Um, I went out there, read for that, and they were like, you know, okay, thank you for coming out. And, and kind of at first I was like, oh, that was horrible. I was so nervous, I, sweating bullets. Oh God. And then I got a call a couple days later, like, hey, we'd like you to come back in and um, reread for uh, us. And so I went over to the, the uh, director's house and um, so I reread it and he kind of directed me trying to do it a couple different ways. He's like, hey, he's like, um, we don't think that you, you uh, the lead would be for you just because of the fact I didn't have a lot of experience. And he's like, but we do have a supporting role as one of the firemen. And, and then every, and any, for anybody that wasn't the lead in the play, um, they all played like a, an extra person at the end. Um, and so I did both of those. And so then we started to rehearse, um, which, you know, I had never really been a part of anything like that. So I didn't truly realize all that was involved. And, you know, at first when he started rehearsing, God, it was horrible um, just because of the times we'd have to go in and we'd have to learn lines and the repetitiveness of it. And I'm not going to lie, when he first started rehearsing, I almost was like, is this a freaking mistake? And so we did all that. And then it was a couple months later because we had to spread out the rehearsal times because of scheduling and stuff. And this was just a... This was basically just like a, a community theater. It wasn't like, it wasn't even like a regular theater. So we kind of just got together and practice here and there. And then I want to say it was April because we didn't actually start rehearsing until like uh, February, I think. Um, so then April came and there was one night production. And so, you know, we did a couple of run throughs like before and it was still nerve-wracking just being up there and quiet and so finally the production night you know we kind of all we got up there and we did our thing and there was there was a scene where me and another actor kind of had to uh to react and and to a certain thing and the audience laughed and uh but it was because we we did something they thought was funny and so you know we went on along the whole play and then of course we did our final things at the end and then the audience applauded and uh and so then I, it was just that overall feeling of like wow really they what we did they liked and i really liked it uh and then it kind of put all that stuff from before like the the repetitiveness and all that kind of like you know the side and and so then i kind of it had been you know uh, from that point there was like another there had a short film that they were casting for which um, I'm good friends with the guys now, but at that time they had, um, they had casted me for a smaller role in that, but the film never was able to take off. And so I had, um, basically done nothing else until, um, and, and in between that too, from people at the play to, um, other people, I started networking and started connecting with others in the industry and, a friend of mine who I just met through networking had suggested me there was a a local film that was being made that they needed um, needed extras for, which is basically just people. And if you look at a movie and like any Tom Hanks movie, and you see like people maybe sitting in the background, but you don't kind of see who they are. It's just kind of like for filling up the background in a film. Well, that's basically what the extras are for. It's just to kind of fill in. 
Um, so they needed extras. And so one of the days I was able to go to was in this like little chapel scene. And it, was, it was a pretty significant part of the film. Um, and so I did that and I, I realized like, you know, I really like this. I want to do some more. And so the next month they had another uh, local production um, did a film and I went out for four days as an extra. And I, I loved it so much that I started doing more and more and more. And, and 2017, I think I did a short film every month, which that kind of, that and then 2018, I did a lot to where it kind of caused the teetering towards the end of the marriage. Um, but it, I loved acting so much after doing all that. I just, I, I kept going with it. It became like an addiction, almost kind of an obsession, like, you know, a good one. And just before you knew it, I met so many different people, networked with so many different people, and it's kind of lifted me up to kind of where I'm at today. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, so you, have you uh, considered doing feature films or would you have to leave Oklahoma, you think, to, to get into that? Um, you know, there are some um, moving from Oklahoma. No, I, I, that's not even an option now because um, my ex and the kids are here and um, I'm definitely not wanting to move away from Oklahoma because my kids are still little. I mean, I have... Um, I have a 17 year old, which will be graduating high school next year, but, um, I have a 10 year old and seven year old. So, um, this is where they live. This is where they want to live. So now I will still live in Oklahoma, but traveling. Yes, I have a film that's coming up and it is a feature that will require me to travel to Tennessee to film for probably three days. And, uh, but there's, there was a production I did up in um, Newkirk, Oklahoma, uh, called Hunting Jessica, and it's a, a supernatural series. And it's, it's got potential to take off like True Blood. So um, you don't necessarily have to leave, move away from Oklahoma to, to be a successful actor. I mean, it, it does. I mean, for a lot of people, it has helped when they went out to the bigger cities. Um, but what I've also heard, too, is people that have moved like to L.A. and New York and stuff that the competition is extremely fierce out there and cost of living is a lot higher. So I know a lot of people that are still even struggling today to um, get where they need to, but also too now with um, a lot of technology, especially with COVID-19 going on, they've done a lot more video auditions because they haven't been able to do stuff in person. And so that has opened the doors for so many people to be able to, to um, reach out and get seen more than they would before. And I've, um, I also have a Texas agent. I have an Oklahoma agent as well. And um, I've went down and drove down to Austin for auditions before. And one of which was a, um, it was a national commercial that they were holding auditions for. And so I drove down there just one day for 30 minutes to audition and drove straight back, which is over, it takes over five hours and 20 minutes just to get there. And so you're talking about 30 minutes between. So you're talking about a good 12 hour day um, just for going down for one 30 minute audition. And um, I did, I got a call back and drove back down to the same thing. Um, I fortunately did not get it, but the casting director was one who had casted for some bigger projects um, and who was down, located down in Austin. And um, my name got on a radar too. So that, um, that could definitely be beneficial for the future. Um, so yes, um, to 
being some bigger films, a lot of them, I mean, they, they've had something come through through Oklahoma. Um, you know, you may be required, I'll probably be required to travel um, to being a lot of different ones, but it won't necessarily mean that I have to move away from here right now um, because until my kids are all grown up and adult, I kind of really don't have that choice. And um, I wouldn't want to anyways because I wouldn't want to be away from them except when I'm working. So at least I kind of have that option right now. Yeah, that's not too bad. I uh, I drove down to New Orleans a couple of times to audition for things, and it's about a six-hour drive. Mm-hmm. Go down there and do like you did, stay for like forty-five minutes, and then then drive back. So it, it's doable. So oh, yeah. so so when did you get started in doing voiceover work? Um, what's kind of funny is um, I kind of the first thing I ever did out here was just a couple years ago, and it was just for a friend's small YouTube project. Um, and, and the role I did, I was the only animated thing in that. And I was a talking broom called Sweeps. And so he was kind of the, the, the abused one in the group. Like, you know, he was trying to be all sweet and kind. And everybody was just talking down to him, whatever. Um, and, and so, but it was kind of in a funny way. Um, but before then, I had um, basically in my previous jobs, um, like in 2016, when I was bored, or not 2016, oh my lord. Uh, no, you're okay. Uh, it was like 2006. I'm getting my times mixed up, my God. Um, back when I worked, I uh, used to work um, production on an assembly line. And um, so like at the end of the day, or like we were on downtime, whatever, and I was bored, um, I would, in between, like, cause I had seen this as a kid watching like Rod Wayne and everything, people growing up and so, even before then, I started to try to change the pitch of my voice, you know, which at times it was kind of, kind of did when nobody's watching. Cause I was like, okay, nobody can hear me do this because I'll, it'll be you know, horrifying if anybody knew I'd try to do that. And so um, I would try to do, change the pitch of my voice here and there. And, uh, and even before then, um, in the, like when I was in college, I would try to change the pitch of my voice to do like, you know, um, Cartman or, or Fat Bastard off of Austin Powers. And, um, so, you know, down the production line, I would occasionally just try to think of a character and, and try to imitate his voice a little bit. And so um, it kind of was okay then, but it kind of also came out kind of, you know, not sound the greatest. And so I just kept doing it and doing it. And then I raised a little bit of money and I got in contact with this guy down in Kentucky who, uh, um, he was able to, he had some audio recording equipment and so me and him kind of came up with the script and I did like a small like audio demo reel um, that I put it on like voice123.com. Uh, and, uh, and even going back hearing that then, some of the stuff I did on there, I'm like, oh, that wasn't the greatest, but apparently people liked it. So I, uh, I kind of was kind of the start. Um, and then kind of from there, I still kind of did it in this, you know, um, just for fun, like at home or whatever. And then, um, then a couple years ago, and like I said, I reached out and they said they needed somebody for this. So I did a kind of like a, not a higher pitch, but like a lighter pitch voice. And they're like, okay, we can definitely work with that. And then his brother did like a mashup of like a GI Joe series, um, just called Cobra. And it, um, basically took like the old GI Joe cartoons and cut little bits and segments of the different cartoons and then added dialogue to where we dubbed it over with our own voices and. So we, I was talking to him. He's like, yeah, I really need to find somebody to do Cobra Commander. I'm like, okay. 
And so I was like, well, let me see if I can do that. So I went home and I started to work on it. And it was after watching a GI Joe cartoon. And so I did with my phone, I recorded a little audio clip of me doing Cobra and uh, I sent it to him. And then not too long after he's like, dude, that was great. He's like, yeah, you, you, you do Cobra for this. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll do Cobra Commander. And so for that small YouTube series, which it didn't really do much, it was just kind of like a fun project. Um, I ended up getting doing Cobra Commander. And, uh, and so that was, um, that was definitely fun. And um, it has definitely gotten people's attention, um, which I haven't done a whole lot of, um, a whole lot with the voiceover part yet, um, which that's something now I'm going to be looking into real soon because I actually got to get a computer for the house, for the apartment, and uh, some good old audio recording equipment. But yeah, that's uh, the voiceover part is it's it's so much fun just because of the the characters that you can create with your voice um, and just do the audio and amazingly, you know, what it can come out sounding like. And then people just like, oh my God, that was amazing. I'm like, really? Okay, um, thank you. Um, it still kind of blows my mind to this day of acting or uh, voiceover or anything else. It's like, hey, you were really good. I'm like, and I'm always the humble type to where I'm just like, I don't think so, but thank you. <laughs> so, um, but it's just kind of the earlier things like with um, Rod Williams and different thing, people like that that kind of inspired me to, um, to kind of do that. Yeah, uh, I, I interviewed a guest who had, who did voiceovers too, and he did a lot of work with, books on tape or yeah and um and did really well with that is that something you would you would consider doing yes it is actually a um a very good friend of mine who lives in arkansas who had told me that he does that his name is rick viper he um he actually has done quite a bit of, of books on tape and so that's definitely um like i said getting the equipment is kind of the part that i'm waiting on right now um but yes once i get my equipment set up in my uh, home studio um, I definitely would love to um, do some audiobooks and do some more voiceover recordings and, and different things. So yes, that's voiceover work is actually beef, you know, um, was kind of a dream of mine before acting just because of, of watching cartoons growing up. And then like, you know, some, after a while, like as I got older, seeing like the behind the scenes and the actors doing that stuff and, uh, I was like, man, that'd be cool to do. Like, cause I used to watch like Dragon Ball Z and stuff too. And I was like, that'd be cool to do, do voiceover for one of these anime, one of these cartoons, you know, just like, you know, everybody loves seeing these. And I was like, it'd just be so cool to, to change the pitch of your voice or, or something really cool like that to, um, to entertain people. And actually what's funny is I went to this little church function back. Um, and this was probably in 20, Oh, 2014. And they were having like this little talent skit and it was out in the park and picnic and anybody could sign up that they had a talent. And I was scared, but I put down, um, I'll do some voiceover over on the microphone. And, uh, and I also did some carry, like uh, kind of karaoke. I did Garth Brooks. And so I, I wrote up my own, like, like a little script. Um, and I had to rewrite again because the handwriting was freaking horrible and so my script basically was about like uh it was a yogi bear and boo boo that were going through the woods 
and they were trying to find, I guess, a picnic basket, and then they encountered like this Elmo. They encountered Elmo and basically ran away because thought he was possessed. And then they kind of encountered like Kermit and a small group at this picnic, and so they kind of sat down and enjoyed it with them. And I did that in front of everybody, and they they were cracking up as I was doing it. And they they applauded me again, and I was like, wow. Me changing the pitch of my voice and acting like a goofball made people laugh. Who would have thought? And um, you know, at the time, God rest my ex on that. You know, um, she she was a good sport. I mean, there's a lot of times where my doing my impersonation around the house just really annoyed the crap out of her. Um, but she put up with a lot of it. So it kind of doing that right there was kind of the icing on the cake of realizing that hey, I apparently have a natural knack for this because I mean. I've taken a few voiceover classes since then, but I mean, I haven't had a whole lot of extensive training in it. But a lot of it's just from self-taught, and a lot of it's from just trying different things and 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 doing that. And so it's yes, definitely something that I I'm going to look into is doing um, books on tape, um, doing uh, making more audio demo reels, better ones that I can submit to possibly get bigger and paid work. So yes, um, I'm highly definitely looking into doing more voiceover work professionally and that would work with you staying in oklahoma that's something you could do from anywhere really yeah it, it, exactly and you could do kind of any project because I, I have friends of mine that do voiceover work um, from all over the world and they submit it to different companies different th things and uh some of them are very successful and make really good money at it and uh, yeah that's definitely um, between my acting gigs, you know, because after this whole thing is blows over, I've got at least three or four projects lined up that are ready to start shooting. It's just a matter of waiting for all of us to be able to get out and be around each other again. Yeah, that's, that was my next question. If you had some things coming up down the down the line, uh, so so you do have some stuff, but you can't talk about them yet because they're in production. Um. Well, now I can talk about a, a few of them. Um, the um, I recently was cast in a fan film and it's called Freddy versus Jason dreamscape. And basically it, it takes place it, kind of back to when Jason and Freddy were in hell. So I know they had the Freddy versus Jason film that came out in 2010, which, you know, it was good. Um, there's so many things that could have been done different in that story. So this kind of goes back, you know, before like around the same time, but it, it basically is telling a different story. Uh, in a sense, but it's basically to where by some circumstances, which my character that's in it, it plays a part in helping to bring Jason back to life because I'm a you know, dumbass in the film. Um, and so he, of course, is brought back and then Freddie, of course, has his claws somehow involved in that. And there's this lead character, uh, this boy that's a teenager around 17. He was also played by a local Oklahoma actor named Spencer Trammell. And so he basically travels back and forth in the dream realm to where uh, eventually he'll, it'll place a major part in the film. And then there's, um, I know there's at least one name that um, makes an appearance in there. Not, not the actor, Heather uh, Lugenkamp, but uh, the character Nancy from the Friday, uh, Nightmare series, who's there in the process of doing auditions for casting for that. And since this is a fan film, then, you know, they can't really have any SAG actors and actresses necessarily participate because obviously the budget. Um, so that, you know, that fan film is going to be made. That's the one that's going to be made in Tennessee. 
which I'll have to travel out of. Um, but they're looking at getting that filmed as soon as this COVID-19 is over with and as soon as they raise the rest of the funds, which they're, I believe, close to 32% funded. And they got about 33 hours left on the first campaign and they're going to be starting up a second one to get the rest of the funds raised. But um, the executive producer and also the consultant on the Freddy character's name is Blake Best. He actually has written um, some amazing books. Um, you know, he wrote a book about the, uh, the characters, about the fourth movie, the Dream Warriors. And he actually knows, um, knows quite a bit of the cast from that. Um, a lot of like the, the, the characters are in that. And Blake is also has some props that they had used like the um i believe it was film number three the dream master i believe is where freddy's um it has his arms that are like, like really long and stretched expanding down the hallway he's got those like the arm props that they used that he'll actually bring out at conventions and he's also got a mask that was made uh, for the first nightmare film that the stuntman actually uh it was made for him uh, to where, to where he, like for the more, um, the more scenes that involved a lot of like dangerous stunt work, uh, they would use the stunt guy rather than the Robert. And so Blake actually has a mask that was kind of made for that. that it kind of fits on the face. And so he'll actually occasionally show that too. And, uh, and then the writer of the film and also, um, uh, the writer, uh, and also a, a producer, his name is Joshua Adams. He actually wrote the script and he also is the one playing Freddie. And so he's got a whole knowledge of Freddie as well. And then uh, uh, the director of the film, uh, his name is Cody Huskins, who he is also playing Jason Voorhees. Uh, he has been involved in the acting world since he was little. His grandfather and father, I believe, were both actors. Um, his father was actually in the Delta Force 2 movie uh if i'm correct what he was showing me that his the scene i guess where chuck was in got uh, from the balcony to the bedroom and the door opens and the first guy that walks through that chuck deals with that doesn't talk that's his father in that and um and then he's also a jason cosplayer he's got i don't know how many different jason outfits that he has made and put together um he's even got like the number seven one where he's got the disfigured face under the mask he's got all kinds of stuff so he's playing Jason and he's, I want to say six, four. He's big and he's wow. like a mountain of man. He's perfect. He's around basically the perfect Jason because he's basically around a hotter side, Kane hotter uh, height and size. So it's, um, it's a fan film. So, I mean, obviously we're not making a profit, which it doesn't break the rules about using the characters names from the film because it's a fan film and they're wanting to raise the profits to, uh, put into some other ones because they've got like an origin story freddy they're wanting to make they've got some other ones and so it's definitely promising to look like and it's a feature so it's it's gonna i really believe this the way the script was written it's an amazing story and i truly think it's going to be a good tribute to not only the, the fans of the series but if by chance because i know blake has uh who has talked to robert before at fan festivals and everything else and i'm sure that once this is completed that he might um see robert england might actually would like to look at the film just to to show me you know that hey the fans that made this film for fans you know and, and see if robert gets a kick out of it that'd be cool yeah <laughs> so um 
Okay. Do you have anything else you'd like to, to talk about that we that you hadn't brought up yet? Um, there's there's some other projects laying, you know, which I could talk about for hours. There's other projects that that um, that are coming up, um, and obviously, probably more and more that are going to be added on. Um, but um, no, I think that I think we covered quite a bit tonight, just with the accident, and then talking about the beginning of my acting, and then talking about the the um, the fan film. So I think. Yeah, we've got uh, fifty minutes, so that's that's, that's oh wow, yeah, pretty good length, and it seemed like it went by really fast too. It's very interesting. Yeah, I know that um, that usually that went by fifty minutes. Really, it went by that quick. Holy wow! <laughs> I like it when that happens. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, what I'm what I'm going to need from you now is uh, any of your links that you want me to put in the show notes, like for your social media, YouTube pages, and you know anything like that that you want to share and an image of yourself that I can use for advertising and in sure. my social media. Absolutely. And I'll I be will, glad to send those to you. Okay. And I will let you know when this is uh, released, I'll send you an email with the, uh, with links to, to get to it and, and links to my social media where I, where I post it uh, so that you can uh, look at it and share it with your friends and so forth. Excellent. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Dale. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with me today. I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and good luck on your on your future work. It sounds like you've got quite a bit coming up and, and pretty exciting. Uh, I know the, the fan film uh, sounds very interesting. So, you know, kind of keep us posted when that comes out. Maybe we can do a, an addendum. Oh, absolutely. And um, most definitely. And I'm sure that once it comes out that um, the director, um, the three the three main guys that are involved that did these the auditioning stuff that you know, Cody and Joshua and Blake, the, the main ones doing this film, I'll definitely mention something to them. And I'm sure that they, one or all three would love to be able to also come on and talk about the project, especially Blake, who is any knowledge about the nightmare films. That man is a fountain. He knows almost everything there is to know, especially about film number four. Um, so, okay. That sounds um, good. Yeah. Yeah. But so yeah. We'll definitely keep you posting. Yeah. Give him my info. That'd be great. Okay. Well, yeah, absolutely. I, will, I will talk to you later and you take care. You too, sir. give a shout out to Ben, the editor of the show. Ben also has a podcast called Two Marks and a Spark. You can find it wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Check it out. You won't be sorry.